Hello and welcome to the latest Science of Sport podcast. I'm your host Matt Solomon and today I'm delighted to be joined by Greg Haff. So Greg is a professor and the course coordinator for the postgraduate degree in strength and conditioning at Edith Cowan University. He was previously the president of the National Strength and Conditioning Association. And on top of that, you may well know him for his skills as an author on a range of different topics. So without further ado, it's time to welcome Greg onto the show. So Greg, welcome to the Science of Sport podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Oh, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to, to chat a little bit about cluster sets today. Oh, I'm, uh, I'm really excited to get into it too. And uh, like I was saying just a second ago, it's somewhat selfish of me to, to do it. I really enjoy cluster sets and I think uh, they have fantastic applications. So yeah, for me, this was a, a really interesting one. It's going to be a really interesting one. But before we get into some, some depth on that, can you give us a quick introduction as to who you are and what you've been up to until now? Um, I'm Professor Greg Hoff. I am the course coordinator at Edith Cowan University in their Master's of Strength Conditioning. Um, one of the things about me is that I'm really into strength. And I've been into strength since I was really young. Uh, at 11, I got introduced to strength training. And I've been on a journey for the last 40 years of just trying to find out how to be the strongest I can be. So that took me all over the world to learn from all kinds of people um, academically as an athlete and um at the moment, I'm a professor of strength conditioning. I mentor grad students, and we try to answer questions that are really relevant to people's training, um, always in that strength domain, uh, but in different ways. And so we're looking to improve people's performance in that strength uh, domain, so to speak. Absolutely excellent. And obviously, your name has been uh, quite a large name in the, the world of strength conditioning for, uh, for a long time. You've got a few books out and uh, uh, a new book coming mm-hmm. out as well to get people uh, interested in that one for uh, later in the year. Yeah, uh, we, we have my first uh, book on periodization that I've written solo. So I've, I've kind of deviated away from uh, Professor Bompa to do my own thing. And uh, that's going to be coming out uh, later in the year, twenty twenty, end of 2023 with Human Kinetics. A big launch will hopefully be at the NSCA conference, we're hoping. Um, it's going to be a really unique uh, look at periodization and try to bring cellular signaling, data analytics, all that stuff in together so that we can show how that the paradigm has evolved and we can still use it today in modern sport because I know some people are really questioning it and I, I, I question the people who question it. I think they don't understand the concept as well as they should. So we've actually spent a lot of time trying to unravel it Absolutely. and I'm really excited about it actually. I'm, uh, I'm excited for that one too. So uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a fun end of year, I think uh, Christmas time to, to get my hands on one. one. Um, but uh, today, cluster sets. Obviously, um, mm-hmm. that can be used for a, a variety of different uh, physical adaptations. But can you give us a quick introduction as to what cluster sets are and why they're important? So I think, first thing, you have to kind of quantify cluster sets. Cluster sets are where we intersperse brief rest intervals in, in between either individual repetitions or groups of repetitions. Um, and then what this does is allow us to accomplish more work. So we can lift a heavier thing more frequently. And if we look across the literature, if you can lift heavier things, you get stronger. If you can lift heavier things more frequently, you can build more muscle mass. So we can manipulate the set structure to change the physiological adaptation and the performance outcome. So the cluster set really, to me, is one of those advanced training tools where we can actually enhance performance. But it's a sneaky tool because we could also use it to teach people a lifting technique by giving them a short rest and interspersing some uh, instruction with novices. They can actually have better training instead of doing a straight set, let's say, of, of five repetitions. 
singles done individually with like 20 seconds rest. So I think it's a really powerful tool for improving performance and really enhancing adaptive responses. I think that's a, yeah, it's a really interesting little introduction because obviously it brings us on to some, some yeah, fascinating physiological questions too. So in terms of that physiology, you're, you're going to give someone a, a maybe 20 to 30 second rest. What happens physiologically mm-hmm. to allow them to produce more work then? So if we take a look at it, right, and, and a lot of the stuff that I do, I started out in my career really interested in bioenergetics and uh, metabolism, things like glycogen metabolism, phosphocreatine, things like that. By having a short rest interval between the groups of reps or, or individual reps, it allows us a little bit of time to get partial resynthesis of phosphocreatine, which gives us energy basically to perform another rep or at a high intensity. So what we're doing is we're getting these little bumps of recovery. And that allows us to produce more force or produce more force rapidly. And in fact, I really think where cluster sets are powerful is that they allow you to maintain movement velocity and the rate of force development. Um, In fact, when my doctoral student, James Tufano, and I were doing a lot of stuff with the squat, he always wanted to talk about power. And I'm like, James, this is about velocity. It's more about velocity because the force doesn't really change because the weight on the bar is the same. It's really about the movement speed. So we can maintain velocity, and that has to do with the rate of cross-bridge cycling. So how fast can we actually contract that muscle? So we do have a bioenergetic response in that recovery, and we might have some neural fatigue uh, recovery responses as well. But we haven't had as much time to spend exploring that, but we have it in the, in the cards to do. I think that's, uh, that's really interesting. And then in terms of adaptations, um, how does that uh-huh. physiological adjustment then, so that, that small recovery phase, how does that change the, the adaptation that you get from the exercise? I think this is a this is kind of that open end question, and I and I, I often say this to my students, and and I was in a meeting last night with NSCA, and we actually said it there too. It depends. Everything is it's the depends answer. It's how we structure it. So, if I'm going to create a hypertrophic cluster set, so a higher volume cluster set, what I'm trying to do is get more mechanical tension. And by having more mechanical tension, we're going to upregulate those cell signaling pathways to get adaptation. How do we do that? By having the cluster set, I can lift a heavier load. That gives me more mechanical tension. So one of the things that we look at in the literature, some of the studies actually show that cluster sets have no benefit. But what they've done is equalize the workload in the traditional set and the cluster set. Well, they're no different. You're doing the same load. So by putting that rest in, it allows me to do more work with the heavier load and then stimulate those self-signaling responses. Now, when we're training at higher velocities, we're going to adapt that performance adaptation into the system. We're going to get used to firing those motor units more quickly. So when I look at that, it's, it's a physiological response to being able to do more work, more work or move more quickly, more frequently. And when, when you're then saying, okay, we've got that, um, <clears throat> you've got a match study. The idea then mm-hmm. is that that rest would give you less fatigue for the same output. Is that correct? Correct. Yeah. And that's what, that's where it gets interesting. Professor Stone and I talk about this a lot. As researchers, one of the things they first teach you is to equalize things. So everything's equal except for the one variable you change. But then it loses its ecological validity. Because when I'm in the coaching perspective and I put my coaching hat on, why do I use the cluster set? It's not just to rest. It's to rest to do more work. And my doctoral student, James Tufano, now Dr. Tufano, he did a lovely study where we equalized the relative intensity. 
So 65% let's or 75% of a 10 RM, 75% of the cluster. So it's 75%. And he found that you got the same fatigue pattern with higher load than you did when you had the lower load with the traditional set. So you could do more work. And that study, a lot of people don't look at that one. And I think that's one of the ones that actually shows that the power of the cluster is the ability to do more and to do more, uh, more rapidly. So when we're, when we're looking at that fatigue, um, what's the time frame on that fatigue? Are you talking kind of the, within that session or does it also have knock-on effects throughout the week? For example, uh, let's say to the next session, you've got a, t- a session in two days time. Um, you've done clusters instead of traditional straight sets. Would you have potentially mm-hmm. less fatigue for the same amount of work? It depends on the structure of the cluster set and how you pair things. Mm-hmm. So within the cluster set, the fatigue would be the same as far as the velocity decline, yeah. uh, even though you're lifting more load. So you can do more with a similar fatigue pattern. The accumulative work may be higher, so you may have a lag in your recovery. That being said, what we're doing some really innovative work here with uh, my doctoral student, Stuart Guppy, where we're looking at, for example, 6RM deadlifts on a Monday, Wednesday, and a Friday, and the variability is almost zero uh, in your actual maximal capacity. Um, so when we start to look at this, that fatigue is going to be more complex than just that cluster set. It's the structure of the program and the things that you put into that program and how they're sequenced and integrated. I think that's one of the big keys with the cluster set. You don't do it for every exercise in your training program. You pick specific exercises that are the big rocks that you want to use. Um, I tend to use it with the Olympic lifts um, more so than any other lift or the derivatives. Um, and that's my wheelhouse. Now we have done it with squats and bench press, but it's got a little bit of a fatigue knock on because you've got to unload re-rack and unrack when you're squatting, unless you have a monolift. Yeah. Yeah. That's logical. So there's also a, a cost as such to, um, mm-hmm. yeah, even lifting the weights in that sense. So like if you have to walk out of the rack, you've got, let's say, I don't know, hundred kilos, whatever on your back, all of a sudden it's going to cost you 10 seconds worth of energy to, to get it out there, prep yourself, get your breath and then go. Um, are there any other yeah. disadvantages? Well, I think we can address that one by changing the rest interval. We'll lengthen it to account for that extra time of moving in and out. Um, there are people who try to do it with hang exercises. I think the disadvantage there is the same. You're, you have to either hold it and get fatigued or put it down and pick it up. Um, the big complaint with cluster sets is the time because you're adding more time to the session. Now, um, this was a question that we had in our lab and, and, and I'm, I'm blessed. I'm a very blessed human in the sense I have a, a wonderful partner in life who is a strength coach and she's an amazing strength coach. And we were sitting there, all us sciencey people, and we're like, how can we fix this? You know, the time we're trying to think of all these science things. And she's like, partners, partner up people. And the partners go while the other one's resting and it's shortens the time. And I'm like, Oh God, that's so simple. But that's a coaching answer to a science problem. And we tested it and it's amazing because it increases team dynamics because they got to learn to work together. And it creates almost like a motivation effect where I'm going to work harder because my partner's working harder. And uh, we used it quite effectively with some professional sports down uh, in Australia that she coached actually. Um, So I was really, uh, tickled to death when she came up with that. And, um, and we've used that for many years now. And, and I'm talking to Bo Sandoval, he's used it at some of the places that he's been as well. Um, so that's the main disadvantage is the extension of time. Um, 
I do also think the disadvantage can also be, depending on the size of the the cluster set, there could be a pretty high metabolic cost because you're lifting more load, you're doing more volume. So there could be fatigue and you have to account for that a little bit. Um, Otherwise, you know, that's pretty much it that I've come up with. Now, there may be other things that we haven't thought of that we, we, we might find in the future, but the benefits definitely outweigh the cost, in my opinion. I think it's a it's a logistics problem as opposed to a physiological problem, right? So, like you said, if you if you have that, that coaching response to a logistical issue, um, obviously in an ideal world you just say, all right, the session takes ten minutes longer. So uh, yeah, enjoy enjoy being ten minutes later to your next thing. So um, that's in an ideal yeah. world. But if you're from a physiological standpoint, if there are very few downsides, then I think it, it makes yeah. a very good argument to to include this type of work. Um, but in terms of the, the type of athlete that then needs this, right? You, you mentioned that beginners yeah. could could use it for um, a technical thing. So are there, are there any people who then maybe shouldn't be using it? Because I would imagine at least if you're talking about the, the high-end stuff, you're using this for elite-level athletes to break for a plateau, for example, or to ensure that fatigue is reduced. But are there people that then shouldn't be using it? Well, that's a good question, and, and it's something we've toyed with. I know my colleague, uh, Dr. Chris Latella, and I have talked about because he's trying to use it in clinical populations, um, as are some uh, researchers over in Sydney, and they're finding some really interesting results with clinical populations um, who get fatigued easily with high-volume sets, but to increase their work capacity, do some cluster sets. So there seems to be some benefit there. I think what's nice about the cluster set is it's very malleable. We can adjust it to kind of match the needs of the individual. Um, For example, if I want to do more of a hypertrophic stimulus, I can have a bigger or or more numbers of repetitions in the cluster and then have more clusters and get more volume. So if I've got an athlete that can't handle that, I can shrink that and just do individual reps and do, let's say, a set of 10, one rep every 30 seconds. Um, So I can adapt it to the individual so i would argue that anybody could really use a cluster set it with the caveat it depends on what your outcome goals are and what you're trying to accomplish Um, obviously i think the connection for elite sport is really easy you know we want to maximize power output and a power phase makes a lot of sense to use a cluster set with a high power exercise Um, really to be honest it makes some real good sense to use a cluster set in a strength endurance phase to do high volume lifting with a high velocity, high power output. So we don't lose that capacity. Um, and I think a lot of people think of cluster sets only in that strength power uh, block. I've tend to look at it across the entire uh, physical structure of the program. I think it's a, a really interesting insight because especially the, the endurance stuff is, is something that I've not personally looked at um, exactly what you just said, speed and uh, strength and power. Um, there, uh-huh. for, my, for my brain, that makes a lot of sense. But uh, yeah, of course, it, it could easily be that you can create more capacity and volume using that uh, small rest period too. Um, well, you could also enhance power endurance as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if you've got a nice, uh, I don't know, like a nice Kaiser squat or something, you can, uh, you can get on that quite easily, I think. Um, mm. In terms of ascending clusters, because I know that's something you've been working on as well, can you take yeah. us through that a little bit and how that will yeah, change maybe how people um, or how you could use clusters to be uh, effective? Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when we do volume, right, one of the problems that a lot of athletes complain about is that they don't touch that heavier weight, right? Because the volume's high, the load's low, and then they kind of lose that feel. So we've been playing with what we call ascending clusters. So 
each rep, let's say we're doing a set of five, each rep, the load goes up. So the heaviest one is at the end. Now it's a big physiological challenge at the end because the individual is getting fatigued and they've got to focus. And, and what we're finding is that on the next set, we get a kind of a pseudo PAPE effect where that next set is at a higher velocity. Um, we didn't see it as well as I would have liked in the study that we just recently published because I think our loading wasn't correct. We didn't go hard enough um, because we were using a power snatch and it got kind of to be a technical problem. Um, if we had used something like a pull or something like that, I think we definitely would have saw it. Um, so that's the benefit of that. Now, we're playing with right now combinations of changing repetitions and ascending loads. So let's say I want to do 10 reps, four reps on first set, uh, first cluster, three on the second two on the third, one on the fourth, a total of 10 reps. So 30 seconds or, or so between each cluster. So the load goes up and the volume goes down. And we're finding that our athletes are really liking the fact that they're getting a lot of volume, but they're getting that high intensity at the end uh, when they have to kind of force their effort. So for a sport like rugby, where we've got to apply high forces when we're semi-fatigued, that could be quite beneficial as, as a training tool. I think that's, uh, that's really interesting. So basically they can, they can get the best of both worlds where they're creating a good amount of volume um, and uh -huh. also making sure that they're maintaining their, their strength stimulus. Mm -hmm. And also maintaining velocity of movement so they keep that, that power output high. Absolutely. Excellent. So when we want to put all this together, I, I always like bringing it together in a case study because it makes it practical and, and understandable. So we've gone through all the physiology, we've gone through advantages and disadvantages and how to apply ascending clusters. But can you give us an example of how you'd use this with an athlete in a, in a training program, let's say over days and weeks to make sure that they're uh, performing optimally? So what I often do is with, with my athletes, and right now I'm coaching, I mean, I coach the M Tour Barbell Club uh, with my wife, which is, is my favorite name for a weightlifting team in the world, the <laughs> M Tour cool. Barbell Club yeah. makes so much sense, right? Um, with our athletes, what, when we're right now, we're actually in a strength uh, endurance block where they're all doing high volume. We're a little bit different. We actually do volume with our weightlifters. And so some of them are doing the four, three, two, one combination. Some are doing straight sets of uh, two reps, 30 seconds for a total of 10, uh, three sets. We usually do that with one key exercise. Uh, for us, because we're working with weightlifters, it's either the snatch, the clean, the power clean, or the power snatch. Um, the rest of the training session would be basically your traditional strength endurance, like your squatting would be all sets of 10. You're pulling from the floor set to 10. The reason we chose to do that is because it helps them maintain good sound technique because one of the arguments against high volume weightlifting motions is degradation of technique. Um, we've shown that with SPM that the actual curve will change in the power snatch. Um, and so we want to maintain good lifting technique. So we do that there. Now we'll manipulate that rest interval depending on what we're trying to accomplish. If we want to get more fitness, we shorten the rest interval. If we're more focused on power output, um, velocity, force production, we lengthen that. So we'll be anywhere from 20 to 30 seconds, 15 to 30 seconds, depending on what we're trying to accomplish. Um, we can also manipulate the number of repetitions within that cluster. We could do singles, doubles. If we're going to do nine reps, we could do triples. Um, it depends on what we're trying to accomplish. So that sets our foundation. When we get into the strength block, we start to get into the more advanced stuff like ascending clusters or undulating where we pyramid it or what we've also done is coupled it with a, with a yell in the squat and use it uh, accentuated eccentric loading. 
um, and use that to develop forced production. So the reps will come down and uh, we'll do um, less total reps and less reps in the cluster in the actual strength phase. When we get to the power block, it's 100% singles. We don't do more than singles within the cluster. Um, and we'll, or, or strength speed block or speed strength, depending on, on the vernacular that you use. And we'll, you, we'll still use those ascending and undulating there. So we have our basic categories of ascending, undulating, where we do a pyramid, a straight set or traditional cluster set. And also uh, Yoshi, my doctoral student, has been playing with descending cluster sets. So okay. each rep, the load goes down so that you get more speed. And what so would be the advantage he's, of doing that? Some kind of potentiation effect? That's the hypothesis that we're working on, that that first rep is the heaviest load, and it will potentiate the next loads. Um, uh, we don't have a whole bunch of data on that just yet, but we're really interested to see where that goes. Um, it was actually brought up, um, he published his paper, one of the reviewers asked, well, why did you just do a descending cluster? And we hadn't even thought about it. And so we're like, all right, let's do it. Let's, let's experiment and uh, let's play in the lab. A lot of what we do, we do with the athletes first, and then we do the science. Um, we, we kind of, you know, use that coaching mentality of let's give it a crack and see what it looks like and see how it feels. Everything that we've done with clusters, I've actually done in my own training as well. Um, I'll test it on myself before I bring it to my athletes, before I bring it to the science, um, and see how it feels before I, I push it forward. I think it's a, but that's really, how we set it up basically. It's a really good example that you, you, take the time to do it for yourself first as well to make sure you're not going to absolutely destroy them. I mean, yeah, it could easily be the case that you, I don't know, you probably wouldn't with a good level of knowledge, but a, a, a coach could come in and be like, right, we're going to do clusters of uh, seven repetitions, super high intensity, and we're going to do that for 20 minutes, or whatever, on back squat, and they just completely destroy themselves. So um, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's good advice to, to test it out first before you're doing it on the people who get paid to, uh, to use their bodies. Oh, I teach all my students that if you're a strength coach, you should try your own training programs before you roll them out to an athlete. Because I think one of the big mistakes that we always make as coaches sometimes, especially when we're younger, is we overfill the plate, so to speak. And one of the things I've learned uh, over the years that I've been doing this, it's been you know something like 30 years now, is that I'm more reductionist now than I ever have been. Uh, when I was younger, it was like, how much more can I add into the program? Now it's like, how can I make it simpler? And how can I make it more efficient? I think that's where the cluster set's really beneficial because I can get multiple attributes in one set or one exercise, strength and speed or speed and strength, if, if you look at it from that perspective. And is there no um, no kind of conflict for the adaptations that you're, that you're then getting? Because obviously, if you're, yeah, for example, there, there could be some kind of conflict in, in pathways used or, um, yeah, concurrent training effect. What What kind of... Yeah. Is, is there any dampening in, in adaptation to that or is, is it not too, uh, not too important? Well, I think it depends on how you structure the cluster set and how you're trying to associate it. I'm really fascinated right now, and this is probably going to shock a lot of people. I'm actually fascinated by CrossFit at the moment. Um, I do a little bit in the defense space and I'm looking more now at, you know, EMOMs and things like that. But EMOMs are really kind of like a cluster set in a lot of ways. They're not the same as a cluster set, but the principle is similar. Um, and what I'm finding is that I think cluster sets actually may reduce some of the interference effect if done correctly, because you could do a high amount of work and reduce the fatigue. So how we set it up, and if you look at how CrossFitters train, I, I think a good example is Matt Frazier. He does a lot of EMOMs in his training every minute on the minute, and he'll do certain things, or even he does like a set of six 
every three minutes in something, something like that. And what you can see there is the work is really high, but you get a good cardiovascular effect out of it as well. So I think there's some benefit in a cluster set that would be similar there, where you do get some cardiovascular responsiveness uh, to the training. Um, when I'm trying to get pure power and speed or strength development, um, I have to change that cluster set because that fatigue has to be removed. So again, I think it has a lot of to do with matching the loading, the rest, and the volume of the cluster set with the output goal and thinking about how it integrates with the overall training. So in the UKSCA, we talk a lot about vertical integration and horizontal sequencing. So really, you've got to think of your cluster set in that way as well. How is the cluster set sequenced over time using the various different cluster sets available? And how are they vertically integrated with the other training factors? And I think if you can do that in a, in a very systematic way, I actually think the cluster set may be a tool to enhance concurrent training effects. Absolutely excellent. So Greg, massive thanks for your time and effort today. I really appreciate it. Yes. <clears throat> Sorry, losing my voice at the end there. Um, where can people find uh, more about you or you on um, yeah, social media, for example? Have you got any, uh, any places people can go? Yeah, I'm on Twitter at, at Doc Hoff, um, and I'm also at Doc Hoff on Instagram. Um, and, and hopefully in 2023, um, mTOR Strength Sciences will be rolled out, um, which is, is a project that my wife and I are working on. Uh, where we um, we're going to venture out there and start uh, le- doing more promotion of the science that we do and, and some of the practices that we do from a coaching um, science nexus, really, because we're we're coaches and we do science together. So I think that's something that we're really excited about. It's not there yet, but it's coming. Um, it'll probably come about the same time as the as the book is released. Absolutely excellent. So Greg, massive thanks for your time and effort. It's been a pleasure, and uh, look forward to speaking again soon. Absolutely. Absolutely. Complete joy to talk about cluster sets and, uh, and to be on your podcast, which is a great honor. Thank you. Thank you very much. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks to Greg for all of his hard work on today's podcast. I really appreciate it. and I'm sure you do at home too. Before you leave, I want to point you in the direction of the Science of Sport Coach Academy. The Coach Academy is an overgrown library of online sports science courses, which are broken down into bite-sized chunks, which means you can fit it in and around your busy coaching schedule. And of course, every time you complete one of the courses, you also get a certificate of completion to prove your ongoing education. So if you're interested in getting in there completely for free to learn about a range of sports science topics, hit the link in the show notes and you can get in there for free for the next seven days. And if you have enjoyed today's podcast, it'd be fantastic if you could recommend us to a coach, a colleague, an athlete or a friend. That means that we can keep bringing you the best possible guests and the best possible content. And that's it. Once again, a massive thanks from me. I'm Matt Solomon for Science Sport, and I'll speak to you next week.